Hi everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Talent Talk. I'm Kennedy Early and I have with me Grace Rapaski. And here we are today, we have four of our most politically active seniors and we are going to be moderating a little friendly conversation on this big day for democracy in America. Now if each of you guys can introduce yourself by first and last name and tell us the party you will be representing. Alright, my name is Sam Copley and I'll be representing the Republican Party. My name is Sam Seiler and I'll be representing the Democratic Party. My name is C.C. Sidley, and I will also be representing the Democratic Party. My name is Haley Strack, and I will also be representing the Republican Party. So most kids our age don't really care about politics very much. Um, how did you come to learn and become active in politics and choose your party? I've always been interested in politics since like a young age because I've always had like political discussions with my family and my parents, you know, my grandparents and all, all my family members. And I don't know, it's just always something that like drew me in and it was interesting. And like for me, like particularly the most interesting part of politics for me is the economy stuff, like the economic stuff. I find that I've always found that really interesting. And I chose my party because I found myself that I aligned more with the beliefs, you know, conservative beliefs of free market trade and capitalism with the Republican Party. So that's how I choose my party. My party like influence basically came from my parents. They're both very politically active. They're both uh, very liberal. And on my mom's side of the family, um, there's a history of working in government. Um, her father was the ambassador to Malaysia during the 60s. So there was like there was just a lot of political like. Influ uh, influence in the household, not that we were influential, but over me at least, and um, <laughs> it was it was just always uh, like a big like topic of conversation. And they were both liberal, so that's sort of how I ended up aligning. So for me, I started off watching The West Wing with my parents, which is like a fictional TV show about the uh, presidency, and so I just kind of got into it that way, like watching something that I wanted to watch, and then I. Um, got into the real life version of it obviously and I started watching the news and I just became really interested in what was going on in our country and then I got my party alignments mainly from my parents but they never really were like you have to be a democrat they just uh, like proposed the issues to me as they would see them and then I also saw the other side too but I'm more aligned with the thoughts of like tolerance and union workers and kind of like helping people get back up on their feet that was kind of like my reasons for joining the Democratic Party, or not joining, but aligning with them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I would say that my family definitely influenced me a lot. Uh, my dad is a very strong conservative, and my mom leans more towards the middle, but kind of left. So my sister, uh, growing up, like, really wasn't in tune with my dad's ideas, but I remember going home from kindergarten, I'd be listening to right-wing, you know, talk radio. Like I listened to Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh from such an early age that it was kind of ingrained in my mind. But I think that my parents did a really good job of like trying to balance that out as I got older and kind of like Sam or everyone said, like as I grew into um, what I knew that I wanted to align myself with. Um, I'm very pro-life and am involved with a lot of clubs on campus as well, off campus. So I think that social issues definitely played a part in what party I wanted to join as I got older. Okay, thank you everybody. Next question. As we know today, a lot of news stations are biased, so we want to know what news stations you listen to, if you have any favorite reporters, and if you only listen to one side or if you listen to both sides. I mainly in my house watch um, MSNBC, but every once in a while we're like flick on Fox News just to see what's up over on the right side, but um, mostly we uh, watch MSNBC. My favorite reporter is probably uh, Rachel Maddow or Chris Hayes. I really like the way they put together their shows and the way they structure their shows. Okay, so um, I don't watch a ton of cable news because a lot of it's like 
not great. Uh, but uh, it, when I do, it's usually MSNBC, like uh, Sydney, CC said, and uh, we do like occasionally put on Fox just to sort of see what's going on. You know, listen to whatever Lou Dobbs or Tucker Carlson has to say. <laughs> um, aside from that, like uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post are the two big um, sources of news for me. All right. So I listened to kind of a mix. So I, you know, kind of switched around, go to MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News. Um, but I mainly watch CNN and Fox News. I try to keep pretty balanced between those two because, you know, I want to hear I, CNN's more of the moderate to you know left leaning side and Fox News is more of the right leaning side. Um, my favorite reporter, I'd say, is Tucker Carlson, you know, opposite of what you guys said. But, you know, that's my boy right there. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely listen to both sides. I try to understand what, you know, your side of the argument is because they're basically two ways to solve the same problem. And, you know, even though you guys have different, you know, different way to solve it, still got to listen to it because, you know, it may work. Yeah, I try listening to Fox News and CNN. Sometimes it's, like, difficult, I'm sure, for everyone to listen to the other side. But especially when, like, mainstream media is so biased nowadays. But, yeah, I'd say that, like, my favorite people to listen to are Tommy Lauren or Ben Shapiro just did, like, his Fox News special, which was really interesting for me to listen to. So what do you guys think are some pros and cons of free public college and, like, debt-free? Uh, I mean, first of all, more people can go to college because it's affordable and that's important for like a million reasons, just like for the workforce and the economy. And I think it's it's generally considered good to have an educated population uh, and people shouldn't be going into debt to go to college. Like if you're coming out of school with one hundred thousand dollars in loans, that can really affect your financial future. And if you're not paying those off until you're 40, I mean, that's a massive burden. And student loans are kind of unique because even if you declare bankruptcy, they don't get uh you can't default on them you have to pay them at some point so they can really follow you around for a long time yeah and also uh student loan interest rates are super high compared to a bunch of other interest rates um like auto loan interest rates are like 2.5 percent but student loan interest rates can be as high as like eight five to seven percent somewhere in that range and they're really not able to like refinance those loans to get new interest rates it's just stuck where it is all right so I'll give the cons to uh, free college. So the problem with free college is that, you know, we in America, we have a lot of amenities such as sports, dorms, access, you know, food on campus, you know, access to extracurricular activities like clubs and, you know, organizations, you know, things like what we're doing right now in the talent, you know, talent talk. Um, but with free college, like as you see in Germany, they don't get to experience those because with free college that requires that puts the burden on the taxpayers and that for, to pay for every kid's education, that's a lot of taxpayer money. And unfortunately, you know, taxes alone can't generate that money to pay for all, you know, all the things that we enjoy in our college system today, such as, you know, sports dorms and access to food on campus. Um, I think. Okay, I want to be clear that when we're talking about tuition-free college, we are just talking about tuition and fees, not the home room and board or anything like that. And also that um, Bernie Sanders has been a big advocate of this situation, and um, he actually proposed a uh, small tax on uh, Wall Street speculation. And so it's basically trades on stocks, bonds, and derivatives and things like that that would uh, pay for most of this situation most of this proposal that he has it actually produced like 300 billion dollars um, just by taxing these people and there are many other countries other than just germany that has this tuition-free college including uh, finland norway and sweden and we actually in the uc system used to have um, free college tuition um, back like until the 1980s so i don't think it's just like saying free college makes it seem really like 
somewhere out there that we can't reach, but it's not that far-fetched of an idea. And like, uh, I know some people think that the money isn't there, but if you look at the United States budget, like we spend more than $700 billion a year on uh, defense spending. So the money's there, it's just, it's not really being spent on education, it's more focused on things like uh, bombing goat herders in Afghanistan and you know, really important foreign policy objectives right. like that. So you're a supply, I'm gonna bring this from a supply and demand, all right? So the demand for education is really high and it doesn't, you know, because people want education, but the problem is the supply for it is not there. Because if there's only a certain amount of money that they can get for soon, because you're saying that it's free, it's not free. There's still money, has, money has to be involved and there are money restrictions. Yeah. So there's going to create a shortage of people wanting. So like you say you want education for all. And I do think that, you know, everyone needs to be educated. But the problem is not everyone's going to be able to get into college because if everyone's trying to get into college with, you know, the plan is that there's going to be shortages. So there's not going to be enough teachers, not going to be enough, you know, colleges to supply education for everyone. If more people are educated, isn't it true that more people will then become teachers and professors? Well, that's what people thought about healthcare, But as my dad, because my dad is really in thinking the health care is um, he works in that is that there's, there's not enough doctors to supply the health care to everyone. So it's a great idea, but there's not enough resources to supply it. I understand what you're saying, but this is also just for public colleges, too. It's not concerning private colleges. And, like, additionally, if you look at what California has done, I think it's in the last 50 years, they've opened 22 new prisons and only one new public university. So we're definitely spending money on institutions like that where, you know, that you spend $60,000 a year per prisoner, but uh, not on students, which, you know, doesn't seem like the best priority uh, to move forward with mm -hmm. and you know again this is my capitalist self is that if we want colleges to continue getting better i know there needs to be market competition so the, the actually the reason why college expenses are so high is because government intervention basically in scholarships because if there weren't any scholarships people these colleges wouldn't be as expensive because they wouldn't they'd have to you know make lower their prices lower their tuition rates for the people that continue going to those colleges but with scholarships People don't need a you know colleges can charge these you know sixty thousand seventy dollars seventy thousand dollars a year because they're going to be giving out forty to fifty thousand dollars in scholarships to, you know to a certain kid so that's what's drove driven the prices up so it's they can charge higher prices and still have kids to go there and apply there and enroll and not only that but like the value of the actual degree could end up decreasing as we see now like a lot of people are obtaining higher and higher education because simply a college degree could not be enough nowadays. Like we've already proven that you don't need a very high education in some really su successful countries to have an educated workforce in itself. So the value of the degree could just go down if it's free for everyone. But what's the hurt in moving the standard up? Like even if that becomes lesser, then at least people are getting more educated and that's the lesser standard, you know what I mean? Like then the highest degree will just move up a peg, everything will move up, you know and what I'm saying? Well, I think Sydney, or Cece, sorry, um, <laughs> brought this up earlier, uh, but she said like, uh, as you educate more people, more t people will become teachers and open more schools. As you educate more um, future workers, more businesses open and then there's more room for people with those new degrees to uh, join the workforce. Um, next question kind of goes along the same lines of education since it's such a topic that's so relevant to all of us. Um, what are some ways you guys think that we can improve our public school system? All right, so I guess I'll start with this. Um, so California is ranked 48th out of 50 states nationally in public education. So, and we are so obviously we're at the lower end of that, and we also pay the highest amount of taxes out of any state in the United States. So clearly, more tax money is not improving our education, and I think it goes along with the line that money doesn't always improve everything. Um, and I think it has to do more with the fact that our public schools 
right now, the money that is going towards public schools is being towards teachers' salaries, and not all those teachers are good teachers. So and I'm going to bring in the unions here. So these unions, these, they protect these teachers that are not doing their job or not being, you know, doing a productive job as a teacher. They're not educating. They're just, you know, trying to keep their job. So they're still in there. Um, but, you know, at school like Christian Brothers, our teachers are held accountable to the fact that if they don't do a good job teaching, they get fired. So in a public education, public schools, they don't have that. So they can be do a bad job and they can still maintain their job. Um, I think the argument that teachers are making too much money isn't very popular. If you look at <laughs> like states across the country, especially in like Oklahoma, uh, people are, I think it's also in West Virginia, teachers are striking because, I mean, they're making like starvation wages for what they're doing and they spend a lot of money on school supplies that they shouldn't be paying for. And uh, I know it's just throwing money at public schools isn't necessarily the solution, but at the same time, um, part of the reason California is ranked so low is that we have certain restrictions on property taxes, which um, affect how much money we spend on education. And uh, I already brought this up, but we spend $700 billion on defense and not nearly enough on education. Yeah, you bring up, you know, defense, um, but that's also a critical part to our country right now, especially where we're at with you know, our foreign, you know, tensions with Russia. I mean, I but is it really we, like we outspend the next ten countries combined? It's it's yeah. Is that necessary? I mean, yeah, we just true. increased that's the budget by fifty billion dollars. Back back in the days of Ronald Reagan, my boy Ronald Reagan. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> California, California was California was ranked third in educate in public education, and he was also heavy on defense spending. He was so clearly something went wrong. I don't know what, but our education here has gotten worse compared to others, whereas other states has gotten better. And if you take a state like Utah, who's ranked the top 10 for education nation, they pay the lowest amount of taxes. Their education's like one of the top 10 quality across the nation. And again, as you said, you bring up property taxes. Like I said, they don't have any taxes and they're not getting, the public schools aren't getting the funding, but their teachers aren't as protected by unions. Mm -hmm. So that's why I bring in that correlation. But I'd also like bring up like Massachusetts, which I'm almost certain is ranked above. Yeah. Uh, Utah, and they do have higher taxes, and then their schools are, um, you know, in the top five percent or whatever. Yes. Yeah, and also most research shows that when kids that kids learn better when teachers are paid better, because if teachers are paid better, they're going to like their job better that and they're going to do a better job. And people who actually want to become teachers are going to become teachers. Because right now, I think there's a stigma around becoming a teacher because there's this association that when you become a teacher, you're going to be paid low wages and be doing a lot of work. My mom is a teacher in a public school. She works day and night, way more time than she's paid for, and gets paid way less than my dad. And I can tell you who works harder out of those two. And no shade to my dad. Sorry if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> you're great. But um, my mom is going out and buying things for a classroom, and she's having to ask parents to buy things for a classroom, which is not really legal, but that's just what has to happen for her to get paper and pets and things that she needs for a classroom. And my mom teaches at one of the more affluent schools in the district, so I can only imagine what's happening at those not as affluent schools in the district. As someone who went to a public school, like... We had to bring in paper. We had to bring in pens. We didn't have those there for us. And our teachers were great, but there were some that were bad, and they were out of there. It was a little different than the situation that goes on here, but they have ways to get teachers out. I agree that the unions are a little bit problematic when it comes to that situation, but unions do way more than that in protecting workers. And they could be restructured in that sense, but I don't think we should just get rid of them. Unions are very important to workers. I mean, unions also protect the good teachers. So yes, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty, you don't want to get that rid of them. True. I mean, yeah. uh, it's sort of a double-bladed uh, sword, you know, if mm -hmm. unions protect the good and the bad. And, yeah, and, I mean, yeah, it ensures, you know, good work ethics so that, you know, the workplace is always safe and 
So yes, this I, is kind I understand of that. Semi-unrelated to what we we're talking about, but I also think the politically appointed board members to school boards and things like that, such as at the highest level, Betsy DeVos, who have never taught a class, don't know that much about what goes on in that classroom, you know, has never like experienced that situation, should maybe have a little bit more of a say from um, teachers who have taught in classes. If you know what I'm saying, like teachers who have taught in classes and had those problems, experienced those things, should be at those positions a yes. little more than just politically appointed people. Betsy DeVos owns 12 boats. Um, so she, I mean, she's pretty out of touch with what's going on in yep. public schools. I, I mean, can you imagine owning 12 boats? Like, no, that's, no. that's a lot. No. That's what do, a what do you lot. do with that many boats? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. One like, for each lake. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she probably owns a lake too, which, you know, yeah, probably doesn't. Sense, it's fine. But, yeah. And then also right. we have a lot of standardized tests. Sorry. I'm kind of Hey. taking control here but we have <laughs> when I when I was in my uh, like third grade class we had like three different standardized tests that we took throughout the year they took class time out where we could be learning and basically just gave money from the school to standardized testing companies so I think that we should reduce the amount of standardized tests we need like how many do you need to see if I'm good at math or not so you say yeah which I agree with you we're, we're the one the money that we're getting towards public schools is going to the wrong places yes so I agree well, with you on that it's I don't think that spending. teachers is the wrong places, but no, I no, no. See what you're I know saying. I understand teachers' salaries, but mm -hmm. one of the things teachers' salaries is a lot of bad teachers are getting paid more, higher salaries than hardworking teachers like your mom. And I do think there's, but again, it's where the money's going to, and that is a big issue right now with our public schools. And getting, but getting the like the free market uh, standardized testing, like CC was talking about, like we all have dealt with College Board and the ACT, like. <laughs> How much money have you guys spent on standardized testing over the Way last two years? Much. Like that is true. I would say like probably in excess of two hundred dollars. Or mm -hmm. I mean I don't know. It depends on the person, but like that's ridiculous, especially for people living below the poverty line. That's not mm -hmm. attainable. Mm -hmm. um, CC, I just want to ask you like like what Sam was saying, going back to your mom and how hard she works and how hard a lot of teachers work. But then you know there are always the outliers, and there are quite a few of them in California specifically. What do you think about merit pay? Merit pay? I think that's like, a pretty good idea. Yeah. As long as it's not based on test scores or anything like that, as long as it's based on teacher evaluations. Because, like, if you just standardize test a teacher and take that and use that, then these teachers aren't going to be teaching for their kids to learn. They're going to be teaching for them to do well on that test. And I think that's really dangerous in our schools because then these kids aren't going to want to learn because what they're learning is not going to be what they're interested in. I think it's important to go into the classroom. If we're going to do merit pay, go into the classroom, see how these teachers are teaching, see their methods, and um, see if they're getting some interactive work, stuff like that. I think that's really important. And we also don't really have like a surplus of teachers, so I think, yeah. we, I mean, yeah. the whole, well, I don't think be good, does, it would yeah. be good to get rid of, you know, maybe bad teachers, but we also <laughs> don't have a lot of teachers to replace the bad teachers, I don't think. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's paying teachers exactly. more may get more people to come in to the classroom, more people to become teachers, which would also lower class sizes. And I think as we all know, like one of the big problems is that there's so many kids who learn so different way, so many different ways, and one teacher can't compensate for all of that. So if we lower class sizes, then teachers are able to get more one-on-one -on -one work with their students. So Sam, you're saying that uh, some of the money is just going to the wrong places. Where do you think the money should go? Um, so I, like as Cece said, I think the money needs to go towards C the teachers, hardworking teachers that you know merit-based. They should get paid more because they're doing a good job. So we should reward them with a higher salary. 
and then it should also go towards better you know books you know because you know unfortunately a lot of the books that a lot of the you know lower public schools use aren't very good and they're very outdated so the information they're getting is very outdated so we need to you know make sure we get them new information and we're constantly giving them the new information so it goes towards theirs counselors that's another one because you know I, f- I feel like you know as the next questions you're going to go into but counselors are vital towards people you know developing adolescents you know developing teenagers and high schoolers because you know people need the help and they need to have somewhere to go so quality counseling departments and quality you know have you know having a you know basically an on-campus psychiatrist would probably be a really good thing because then the kids that need the help can get it you know judgment free so yeah. All right. So next question. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, as you know, school shootings have been a really big issue here and uh, many innocent lives around the nation have been lost. So what steps do you think our nation should take to help make schools safer? Uh, less guns would be a good place to start, I think. Um, <laughs> so uh, the conservative like argument against gun control is that only thing the only thing that would stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. But I feel like that's not quite as based in fact as... Uh, it should be. Um, if you look at pretty much any other developed nation in the world, they have significant gun control and they have significantly less gun violence. It just there's a massive mm-hmm. correlation there. Uh, in countries where there's a lot of guns, there's a lot more violence. So even though a good guy with a gun has the potential to stop a bad guy with a gun, I mean, that's also sort of like turning our streets into Call of Duty. I mean, if you think <laughs> about it, like, it, you know, do we just give everyone a gun and then you know expect to shoot at any time? something bad happens uh, what's you know that's not really like a long-term solution yeah we definitely problem. need common sense gun laws i definitely agree with you know because there needs to be yeah there needs to be you know background checks we can't have you know people who are mentally unstable and people who want to do harm to others owning guns because we, as we all know guns are you know very dangerous and very destructive and they you know they tear away families they tear away you know they tear you know right now they're tearing apart schools and so yes i do think there needs to be you know Back, you know, better background checks and better, you know, make it d- more difficult to own a gun. So the only people that can own gun are the people who are truly responsible, who are, you know, able to handle the responsibility of owning a weapon of destruction. Yeah, and the majority of people are like you and us. They support common sense gun control. Most polls show that. So then why do we have legislation that doesn't match this is my question. And I think the answer is probably the National Rifle Association yeah, I mean, and the influence yeah. they have on our elections. It's mainly because, you know, the people, like pe- hunters, they're afraid that once, you know, their starts becoming, like, and this is the fear that, you know, I, I've heard my cousins because, you know, they like their big hunters, is that they're afraid once that, you know, this one regulation goes in, it'll lead to more and more in regulation until eventually they don't get to own guns. So obviously, that's, a, you know, a very, you know, slippery slope. But, you know, again, as the conservative, you know, kind of thing is we're fear that, oh, once rate, once more rate once uh, one regulation will lead to more regulation so well and i think the nra has a large part in stoking that fear they pose yes any type of gun control legislation even if it's common sense like back background checks bump stock bans as a full-fledged attack on personal freedom when in reality it's just common sense gun control that's going to save lives yeah i mean like universal uh, background checks pull at 90 percent or something have 90 yeah. percent approval but um and i think the idea that implementing universal background checks would prevent anyone from hunting is i mean that's a massive leap you know but it would save a lot of lives if we did implement it you know tomorrow or whenever we can i'm not sure many people really know how to deal with this issue though and that's something we've been having a lot of problems with especially like you know the conservative side obviously we want to protect our constitutional rights you know to protect ourselves and to have a gun but i believe there should be restrictions obviously i mean this isn't something we should take lightly and i don't think it's anything we are taking lightly but like when you get into restricting, it's like how much, you know what I mean? 
a lot. And it, well, <laughs> that's what you think. That's what we disagree. <laughs> but I think it's just a slippery slope, like you guys were saying, for sure. So okay. Sam and Cece, so then what do you guys, like, what do you guys think the restrictions should be on guns? Okay, well, I think before we think about what the restrictions should be, really, we have to think about there's not going to be any congressmen in there or enough congressmen in there that are going to want to do this unless we lessen the impact that the NRA has on our elections. So to do that, I think a solution like public financing or something along that realm, or even campaign finance reform, I know that's a big thing right now, would kind of help to lessen that and align the legislation more with the thoughts of the people. Mm-hmm. Well, 50% of the people agree kind of with me, and 50% of the people agree with you, so... Well, this actually, is it's, it's most people want common sense well, no, gun no, control no, legislation. We agree with that, but you believe that you know believe in complete gun regulation. We believe in gun regulation. Did I but say mind. complete gun regulation? Oh. Kind of. I don't. I think I said common sense gun regulation, yeah, no, that's but that's, that's okay. okay. Okay, it's anyways. fine. All We're right. friendly. Thank you, everyone, for being here and taking the time out of your A set. It means a lot. This was a great conversation we had, and we definitely picked the right people. Um, I hope to see you all one day being activists somehow involved in policy because you all have some great opinions and are obviously very knowledgeable about what our democracy needs. So you guys are the future. Thank you for coming today on this episode. Thank you.